We have like researchers coming over, all these PhDs from these different universities within Nelson Mandela Medical School. They're on the ground, they've got this grant, they've, they're ready to go. And we get over there and they've withheld the funding. And what do you do? Like we're literally in another country and the funding's been withheld. My podcast guest today is Nathan Robinson. He is an entrepreneur, a missionary, a pastor, and he shares all of his journey, well, at least most of it, the highs and the lows, feeling like you're winning in life, you're being successful, then feeling bored, then taking a step of faith and feeling like the rug has just been taken out of you and what happens next. So really enjoy this conversation, and I know you will as well as we explore this idea of what does it mean to bless others and what is blessing to begin with? Enjoy this conversation with my friend, mentor, Nathan. And real quick, here is the review of the week. This week's podcast review comes from Hunter Davis. I was recently interviewed for this podcast and it was very clear to me that the energy that Justin brings to this topic of providing and the relatable stories he has to tell are very valuable. Looking forward to listening to future episodes. Thank you, Hunter. And if you didn't hear his episode, it's episode 111. Uh, Thank you for the review, Hunter. And for the rest of you, if you could just take a quick second, give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. It really helps us to grow our audience and spread this news, provide for yourself, serve others, and we would really appreciate it. So with that said, enjoy this next conversation. Welcome to the Become a Provider podcast. If you're looking to live a more intentional lifestyle and overcome passive living, then you're listening to the right show. I interview entrepreneurs, athletes, community leaders, and personal mentors of mine who inspire me to provide in new and creative ways. I'm your host, Justin Thomas, co-founder of the CL Thomas Fellowship Nonprofit, entrepreneur, and coach. Most importantly, I'm trying to provide more like Jesus and live an exciting life, so let's begin. Nathan, cheers to you. Cheers. Thank Welcome you for the li- podcast. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. In person, this is a bonus one to actually cheers with you. Yeah. I like to start off by how the guest has provided for me, and I got to sit through your sermon earlier this month, or last month, mm. and it was about blessing. And I thought, oh, this is what we talk about on the podcast. This is what I'm passionate about with trying to provide more like Jesus and defining provider as one who blesses and protects. And you spent the whole sermon on, what is blessing, by the way? Yeah. And so I said, Nathan, would you please come on the show and we can talk about this sermon and we can also talk about your story. So that's how you provided for me is enhancing my definition of blessing. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And so do you want to start with some of the, I can share my takeaways with the talk that you gave and dive into this theme of blessing a little bit? Yeah. Why don't you do that? And wherever you want me to go deeper, I'll just jump in. And then I want to hear your story too. I made it to Hillsborough and your family and all that fun stuff as well. I'm looking at my notes and I don't often go back to my notes, to be honest. And you go to sermon and you kind of check that box of, Hey, I went to church. I'm a good Christian. <laughs> that's a, that's a win in itself. Sometimes at least for this week, <laughs> you keep going back on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, this topic resonated with me, as I mentioned. And what I loved was I really like getting back to the basics of why am I a believer? Like what's so great about Jesus? And there's a lot of other thought leaders out there and religious icons. And so why Jesus? And then also what's, what's the purpose of going to church? Asking those really fundamental questions. I enjoy that because it gives me purpose in what I'm doing. And like we were chatting about before going live on the podcast, I feel like 
I'm scattered personally, professionally, in a lot of different ways, and I need a purpose to keep going. So this topic, you just said, what does it mean to be blessed? And one of the things I really took away from it was you started to dive into sometimes our definition of words don't go deep enough. Yeah. And you looked at scripture to find clues of what blessing imparts. And for me personally, just having the language Mm -hmm. was helpful. Things like you mentioned of being fruitful. These are things that what blessing imparts, being fruitful, flourishing, multiplying, expanding into a territory. I thought it'd be really great if you could share with our listeners some of your takeaways of going back to the basics of what does it mean to be blessed? Yeah, so there was an occasion a couple of years ago where I have um, my two of my sons and I check out the, you know what they're engaged in and, and they have an iPad from school and I went through some of their messages and I noticed that one of them was on a group chat and some things that the other boys were saying were really inappropriate. They were putting pictures on there that were not pornographic, but it was like, I'm old enough to know where that road leads to if a bunch of young teenage boys keep going down that road. And I told my wife, I'm like, I feel like I need to contact these dads. But then I recognized that there was a problem. I didn't know who these dads were. And then my wife said, you better be careful because some of the some of the dads might think this is a rite of passage and cool. You better be careful that the dads are aligned. And through that process, I recognized I didn't know the dads who my kids were friends with. And part of that is because the school we take them to isn't local in our community. And so there's kind of that geographic separation where you're not rubbing shoulders with them. I went up to the school. They allowed us to start a group that we call the Intentional Fathers Group. And so we meet every Friday morning from 7.45 to 8.45 just to say, how do I, what does it mean to be an intentional father? We all want our kids to turn out good on the other end. But is that with intention? And there's a book by this guy named John Dyson. I think he's a pastor out in New York. And he wrote a book called Intentional Father. And so we adapted the name. And that's the point of the group to say, are there things that we're doing to equip our kids so that? And and have we ever actually answered the so that for our lives? Like, so that our kids, when they become, when they go to college or get done with high school, so that they're able to effectively communicate with an adult, change attire. Like, what are the what are the skills the attitudes and the perspectives on life that we want them to be equipped with. And is it going to be by accident or is it going to be with intention? I love that. That's great to learn. And it reminds me too, it reminds me of kind of going back to the the basics of when we started the fellowship, the idea was how can I myself and all, and also the people in the group become better providers. And that's by learning by those that are providing. Mm -hmm. I was envisioning lunch and learns and maybe even some like hands-on like Mm -hmm. training. And it sounds like that book I need to check out to lean into because I love how you go from the theory to the practical. So here you are, instead of calling out the dads or maybe ruffling some feathers in a way that your wife probably wisely indicated could happen, you invite them to uh, this intentional father's group. Yeah. So we invited them to the group and it's the second year now, so one year was figuring it out and, you know, gathering people. But consistently, 15, maybe 20 guys will show up, which is kind of a lot of dads, right? And so they show up, and we take turns. And I think the core belief that I have is everyone has something valuable to, to contribute, especially in a group of dads who are showing up to a conversation like that. Like, they have something, and they recognize they want help, and they're teachable, but they also have something to contribute. We took turns. My turn came, and... I started thinking, how do we be intentional fathers? And I thought back to the Bible, and I remember guys like Joseph. 
And when he was ready to die, he said, bring my children here. And he intentionally blessed them. And I got stuck there with that word. I'm like, what does that mean? What does it mean that he blessed them? That's what I've been pondering on. And I, I just started looking, what does the word mean? When we were at church, I had just introduced this topic and someone sneezed in the back. When they sneezed involuntarily, like half of the church said, bless you, because this guy sneezed like at 85 decibels or something. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was perfect. <laughs> and everyone said, bless you. It, just in the moment, I'm like, what does that mean? What are you, we communicating? What are we really truly communicating to people when we say bless you when they sneeze? And I think it's a fair question. Are we just saying like when, when we, and I'm not from the South and we live here in North Carolina and it struck me as weird when one of my neighbors, every time we would leave, you'd say, all right, bless you. What does that really mean? What are you communicating? Have you seen the episode in Seinfeld where they, they kind of ask the same question, like, bless you. What is that about? It'd be better if you look at someone after they sneeze and say, you're so good looking. <laughs> Or something like that. Like, it's been a while since I've seen the episode. I've, not ever, I've never heard of that one. <laughs> but it's kind of like, going back to that question, like, why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? I mean, blessing, blessing comes from someone, and blessing is different than the person who's, hey, strawberries are half-priced at Trader Joe's. I feel so blessed. Right. What does that mean? I feel so lucky. There's actually someone, I, I don't remember the name, but it was someone who wrote this article a few years ago about about blessing in the New York Times. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Yeah. The, the essence of her presentation or her, her article that she wrote was that in the old days, this thing called blessed, now we're using the word blessed when in, you could use the word, hey, I got lucky, mm -hmm. or hey, something fortunate happened. I didn't realize it, but blessed is like one of the most hated types of hashtag things you can put on social yeah. media, which I never, I wasn't aware of any of that. And so someone's like, I woke up next to a bucket of KFC, blessed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's kind of like the word love, yeah. where it can have so much meaning or it can have the same thing. Like, I love my, you know, fried chicken <laughs> yeah. uh, versus like, having these vows at a wedding. Mm -hmm. So I started looking at that. And what I recognized is that there's some common things behind a blessing that are consistent. And first of all, like blessing comes from someone, which is a big deal, right? So... A blessing isn't a random chance, but everywhere where I can see it, even when we say bless you to someone who sneezes, there's something that we're pushing toward them or contributing to, toward them or transferring to them, but it comes from someone to another person. Mm -hmm. And that surprised me because I guess I had, the word had lost its meaning and I was thinking that a blessing is something that you run into a fog, a cloud of fog or something. You run into the cloud of fog. There's some level of, I don't know when it's going to exist and I might run into it. And then I'm in a cloud of blessing and I'm experiencing blessing until I go out of it. And then the blessing ends. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see that. And so then it sounds like through your research, that changed, that the perspective changed. It changed because I, it changed. So if I go into the scripture, I started saying, like, where does blessing exist in the Bible? Because it's obviously a scriptural conversation. Mm -hmm. And so people in the real world or like the Seinfeld episode, they're like, hey, why do we use the word blessing? And there's a, it's a spiritual thing, but we don't know the meaning anymore. So I went back. I'm like, all right, let me just see what blessing means. Like, where was it first used? And so it kind of surprised me. It surprised me that the first time I saw the word blessing was in creation. Mm -hmm. 
on the fifth day, it said on the fifth day, God made the birds and the fish. And it says he blessed them. And this is Genesis 1, 22 or 23 or something. It said, and there was three parts of it. He said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters in the sea. And let the birds multiply in the earth. And then it was the end of the fifth day. And so it's just like this between the lines, he blessed them by saying. And so then I'm like, all right, let me see what else is next. And so I, I read down a little bit further. And then it was after, it says God created man in his own image. He created him male and female. So it's not just like he created Adam, but he created male and female, which I think is significant later on when the curse comes in, which I don't think I talked about in our conversation. It says God bless them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I'm like, wait, I recognize this. So blessing, the two times so far that I've encountered it, it says he blessed them. And then there's these consistent words, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he added a couple things, subdue it and rule over it. And as Americans, we don't like the word subdue and we don't like the word rule over unless it's, of course, we're the ones doing the subduing or we're the ones ruling. And so there's a, we can talk about what do those words really mean? So I just started compiling a list and I'm like, okay, blessing, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over and govern. And and then he said, and then, but then he actually added at the end of it, it says, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed. Oh my God, that's fascinating. He's given you, it goes back to that conversation, like a blessing comes from someone. Usually it always comes from a superior to an inferior person or someone who has something to give. Maybe that's a better way, a better way to say it. And so in this blessing, God's saying, I've given you this stuff. So there's, there's be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over. There's this place of authority. And then he's, I've given you something for you to hold on to and for you to carry. So if there's a parking space where I have to hold that, it doesn't, I don't ever see anywhere in scripture where that's taken away. And, and there's a conversation that can feed out of there. Well, what about curses? I don't actually think the blessing was taken away. The best I can think about it, it's like like a pipe that has a valve on it. And that pipe is intended to flow to us. Like if God is on the top of the pipe and we're on the bottom, his blessings flow toward us. But then when occasions happen, I think it's possible to divert the flow of blessings or to cut off the flow so it turns into a trickle to us. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. And then what I think happens, though, those blessings flow into us. And I think that there's valves in our life where we can allow those blessings to flow out to other people. And as it sounds like that's where this sparked your interest, where you're thinking of what am I going to share with these dads in the intentional dad group? Yeah. And so was the message to them of let's fully receive God's blessing and then let's be intentional with giving it to our children. Was that your, that was the essence of it. Yeah. The essence of it was like, what does it mean when you want your children to be blessed? Like how is dads, do we bless our children? Like really practically. And we filled up a whole whiteboard and it was one of those conversations when you facilitate a group, like you ask a question and there's, three minute silence where no one shares anything. But the pondering, it was, it was actually the, one of the deepest experiences I've had with a bunch of dads like that really in a long time. And they're like, this is what it means to bless my children. It, when I bless my children, I've equipped them to be able to know how to respect a woman. It was like something that they were transferring from their either experience or their knowledge or their desires. A lot of dads were like, I grew up and my dad was really, really critical to me. And, and so like their expression of blessing was, I'm going to do the opposite of what I experienced. But it was it was something being transferred to them where there was a an ideal 
that they were in some cases hoping for for their children. And in some cases, they didn't know how to achieve it. And they wanted to be able to push fruitfulness to them. What, what does it mean for me to bless them? Because, and weirdly enough, not one person said anything about money. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. The other thing, too, is that there seems to be, just like this definition of blessing can be a little bit murky and gray, especially in the social context and faith context and everything in between, there's the moments in Scripture that it seems like blessing is a specific moment where Joseph blessing his sons, same thing with David blessing Solomon Mm -hmm. and encouraging him. So there's these real moments of giving a blessing that that child can look back on and remember. And then I'm sure the whiteboards or the whiteboarding exercise included things that weren't huge moments, but just daily activities. Is that correct or am I wrong with that? I think that's totally correct. And I think that's where, that's where the next question arises is like, it's almost like the Christmas day that you remember you're physically transferring something, like maybe spiritually transferring something, but there's a, a possession, if you will, is the possession the right word? There's some tangible thing, which we'll call a blessing that's being transferred from one person to another person. And it's a moment in time that's, Hey, when this happened, the thing we call a blessing was transferred to me. And it's significant because I, and that's where I, I've come to the conclusion, blessings, it, it, there's a verse that says the gift and the callings of God are irrevocable. So the gifts, the blessings and the callings that he has on us, meaning he's given you a gift in order to accomplish a certain purpose mm-hmm. or a calling is irrevocable. And whatever he calls us to in gifts, like the gifts or the, the blessing and to accomplish that purpose, they're irrevocable. But I think that we can, we can delay it by kind of shutting off the blessing. You go back to go back into what can, I don't know if we want to talk about it, but what are the vows that you can turn off between the blessing flow that's supposed to come from God? Because there's an event from individuals, but there is an ongoing flow that comes from God, I think, right? So you see David and Solomon. There There was a specific time when David blessed Solomon, but at the same time, you see Solomon kind of got himself, he started chasing after other women, had all the different things that he didn't align himself with. So he like got himself out of the full flow of God's blessing. So this is probably a good opportunity to weave in your story. As you think about your story, is there a moment where you felt God's blessing on your life? Yeah, that's a good question. The answer, of course, would be yes. (laughs) (laughs) In the expression of when that would be, I'll answer the question by saying that in my journey here for the last couple months, talking about blessing, what I've learned is that one of the valves that keeps blessing from flowing is a lack of belief that you're continually blessed. Hmm. I found myself being like, oh, I have all these problems with my company or I have these issues with whatever it is. The performance-based Christian would be like, oh, I'm not serving God or I've failed God or I haven't gone to church or whatever it is. I haven't been reading the Bible. I haven't been praying. And so somehow there's like a belief inside of them that they've moved themselves outside of God's blessing. So to answer your question, is there a time when God has blessed me? As I've thought through my, as I've, you know, as I'm going back through when has God been with us and when has he blessed us, what I realize is that I'm continually in the flow of God's blessing and he uses the different things in life 
to mold and create and, and craft and, and to correct, right? Mm-hmm. Is it James that says the discipline of a father is never pleasant for the moment, but you know it leads peaceable fruit of righteousness as you're trained by it. Mm-hmm. And so we have lots of stories of God's blessing. The thing that God keeps putting in our life as we look back through history, he puts us into broken, messed up situations. And it seems like the gifting that he's given us is to reestablish foundations and bring peace and then hand the things we're in the middle of off to somebody else. There's got to be some stories with that. Let's go into a couple of those examples, if you don't mind. So one of them, I was an engineer back in the old days. My wife was interested in public health. And we accelerated really quickly in our careers and were kind of bored at like age 32. We had an opportunity to go to South Africa and it was to administer a million dollar grant from the CDC to, de- to deal with the HIV crisis in South Africa and the public school system. And so we were like, oh yeah, this is God's direction. And, and so we went through the whole application process and got our visa and sold our house and everything. We had a big old house and was built like in the 1880s or something crazy. And it was like a dream. We sold the house and I really, I literally was out in the barn sobbing. And the reason I'm saying this in relation to blessing is sometimes transitions in life, God always leads us from one degree of glory to the next, which means blessings like always like kind of pile on top of each other. But I felt like I was giving up a lot. Like, we're never going to be able to afford this house. You can't, you can't even afford the house we just sold. And it was a dream. And it was like this old house, like in real life for us. We get over to South Africa after giving up all of our life, if you will. We sold all, you know, 90% of our possessions and get on an airplane on December 31st. We arrive in South Africa and they're like, oh, by the way, the CDC changed how they're administering the funds. And now instead of HIV prevention, they're moving to HIV, like management of people who already have it. So they're withholding all the funds from this grant. And so now here you are. Sorry, we didn't tell you because we knew you were moving over here. And so we get over there and it did not feel like blessing. Wow. So no. there we are. We have no blessing. We have like researchers coming over, all these PhDs from these different universities with the Nelson Mandela Medical School. They're on the ground. They've got this grant. They've, they're ready to go. And we get over there and they've withheld the funding. And what do you do? Like we're literally in another country and the funding has been withheld. And I think at that point, I, I didn't see blessing in it, honestly. But what God was really doing, he was, it's like in his goodness, like he blessed us that time by withholding funding. Because as we operated for the next month or two, we recognized that if this funding had come, it would have been a train crash. Like they were not prepared. The systems were not in place to administer this grant. Although they had trained hundreds of teachers in the public school system, none of the teachers were teaching. And we were supposed to be there for one year. Through a secrets of events, we were there for three years, and we had we were able to reset the whole program. And it was God's blessing, like the depth of relationships, what He taught us. Like I could tell you story after story, that we we were able to like leave something over there in the hands of local leaders, where the foundations are reestablished. So He blessed us with an ability to to see this roadblock is a real roadblock, and we could have. There was actually another. Another lady came over with us, and it was like so hard. She's, I'm not in for this. This is not what I signed up for. And she like abandoned ship. We didn't feel like God told us to leave. And he, he, he had taught us that when he assigns you a position, you just hold position until he reassigns you to another position. And that's what we, that's what we did. And in the process of that, the blessings that he showed us, the relational depth, there's a verse that says something like, if any of you give up your houses and lands, he, you, you'll have 100 more, 100 times as much. And we experienced that. Like, we have friends to this day 
over in another country. And it was such a blessing, if you will, like such a, there was such fruitfulness, there's such multiplication, there's such expansion in our life that we experienced. Like the fruitfulness is like we saw reproduction, we saw flourishing, like as we equip people in the different ways, we saw them multiplying, we saw, we saw abundance, like in South Africa, in the African culture. Um, there's, an, there's a proverb that says, abundant wealth or abundant food is in the fallow land of the poor. And we saw so many areas of physically like land that was fallow, but we just saw in the lives of people that as we just would invest in them, they just expanded. They flourished. These fallow, this fallow land that, that they hadn't worked up all of a sudden, as soon as they got a little bit of encouragement, these guys became leaders. They started having a significant influence and they started just expanding. So our blessing was watching that God had just used us with all our background to be really a blessing to others. So I, I guess in summary, what I would say is, I think I've experienced the most blessing when it's like the, the, the valves are opening and like God's blessings are flowing directly through me to other people. Mm. That's, it's a weird thing. Blessing is not an experience for me. It's not, it's not an event. That's, I guess it starts with an event when you get there, but then the blessing happens like as you're allowing that goodness, as you're allowing hope and flourishing to expand to other people. And it seems like maybe one of the common questions might be, how did you know you were called to South Africa? How how do you first get that conviction that this is a blessing, a call? What were some of the signals that made you say, this isn't just my crazy idea, this is a God crazy idea? It's a long story. I'll tell, I'll tell it and you can chop out whatever you want. Please, <laughs> if you got time, let's get into it. So it was our anniversary. This is 2000. It's a long time ago. So it was our anniversary. We didn't have um, our kids at that time. And we went away for our anniversary, which was in April. And we went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, because we just wanted to see that whole Mennonite area and Amish area. We got a, the equivalent of whatever is an Airbnb back then. They didn't have cell phones. This was like 2003. They didn't have cell phones. You had your answering machine with a little tape recorder. So we went away for our anniversary, and I had... We, we knew, it's like we sensed that, is this all that there is to life? We had a big house. It was just me and my wife. I mean, it was like a 3,500 square foot old farmhouse. And Michelle had moved up rapidly in her company. I'd share my own company and everything was successful and we we're bored, if I can say it that way. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, and so out of that boredom, I think step number one, if you feel a sense of boredom, I think that night might be God prompting you to say, there's always something more. I don't think God intends us to live in boredom. So step number one, one way to hear is when you're bored, say, okay, God, now what? Mm. I don't think his intention is for us to live. I don't think boredom exists in an infinitely creative person's mind. Mm. So boredom was what prompted us, number one. Number two, then we like, okay, let's act on it. What is, it wasn't like we weren't busy. It was just like, okay, is this it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have, I, I, and I think I had had a, Someone older, like I was like at that point, like 32 or something. I had a guy who seemed old at the time. He's like 58. He's like, how did you guys get all this stuff? How did you get this house? And this is amazing. We've been living this little ranch style house forever. And like, how, how does that work? Like, and, and so somehow through his conversation and through an, another older kind of mentor's conversation, I realized what's the point of life? Like, and I didn't want to live for retirement. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be like, all right, we're going to save all our money. And then when we get 63, we're going to start traveling. And so in his conversation, another conversation, we decided we're going to live for now. So 
boredom and deci- making the decision that we're going to engage in God's like ideal like excitement for us for now. Those are two pieces. So we went away to Lancaster. There's a verse that says, God gives you the desires of your heart. I used to think that meant God blesses you with good stuff and money and all that other stuff. But my mind was changed to realize that the desires that get put in our heart are given by God. And so we went away for that week and thought, all right, what are the desires? And so Michelle and I just started talking like, what are the desires in your heart? If we're bored, but we have desires in our heart that we're not acting on, let's focus on the desires. And so that was a first step. And so Michelle says stuff like, I've always wanted to work for the HIV clinic in Rochester, New York, because we lived up there. I'm like, no interest. (laughs) There's a whole community like there. It was like, like I just like HIV. And I'm like, I don't have any interest in working in that setting. However, we had just received a phone call from this. It was a missionary that our church supported. And he had told me how they had received approval for the government in like Uganda or something. And all they needed was $30,000 in order to implement this across the entire country through their department of education. And they just needed $30,000. And I'm like, that fascinates me. Like you could impact a whole country through the department of education. Like 30,000 isn't that much money. I started my company and, and, and we were seeing growth and I, and that was a desire in my heart. I'm like, that would be cool to be able to have impact like that. And my wife, she has a biology degree. She's, I've been always wondering if we could, if I could get a master's degree in public health. I'm like, that's cool. Emory University down in Atlanta has a good program. I'm like, the heck would we want to move to Atlanta for? <laughs> and she's also near the CDC. If it's near the CDC, there'll be lots of opportunities for whatever. And I was a guy who, when we were engaged, my wife's, hey, would you ever like to travel to Europe? And I'm like, no, not interested. Like, America's fine. Like, I have no interest in going <laughs> anywhere enough else. Me, baby. <laughs> Big enough, I haven't even been hardly passing Mississippi very often. So, so those are the desires in our heart. And so we get back home, and there's this message on our answering machine. And this, this couple, Larry and Gail, they're like, hey, you guys have really been on our heart. We have this opportunity where we have a million-dollar grant from the CDC to implement this public health program dealing with HIV and AIDS over in South Africa, and we need a couple who might be willing to go, and you guys just keep coming to us. Wow. So I'm so glad we dove into the details here because I think it's super practical even to have, just like you've got your intentional fathers group, to have an intentional time with your spouse mm-hmm. to ask that question mm-hmm which I'm totally going to do to Amy, which she's not going to enjoy, but it'll be really fun to see what uh, what comes out of it is like right now, what's the desires of your heart? Mm-hmm. And from a biblical Christian perspective, what you're really asking is what has God placed on your heart, oh. right? Yeah. And so if you have that foundation, then that can be such a rich conversation where it's you're hopefully avoiding the the sinful nature to say was what I want. Uh, and you're really reflecting on as I sit here, what do I feel like the desires of my heart that God has implanted mm-hmm. that maybe I'm a little bit bored in this area of my life. Like I liked how you put that is that if that question doesn't unlock something, maybe the alternative question does is to say, when do you feel bored? Like how often do you feel bored? And let's dive into that. And mm-hmm. maybe the opposite of that can be a little clue into the calling. Mm-hmm. I think the boredom just is like a little flashing light. Hey, you're bored because maybe this chapter's done, or maybe there's three dimensions. Maybe it's, maybe the chapter you're in isn't just supposed to include only this, right? Like the intentional father. Maybe life isn't just about providing for your kids. Maybe there's a, 
maybe there's an equipping component of it also as you go through life. Yeah. So the boredom doesn't necessarily mean you have to change course, but I think the boredom's an alert that this is not all. So that's that's a super practical exercise to do. And then I know there's more to share and feel free to go any direction you want to, but I, I can't have us not have this conversation to talk about another opportunity that you had to take as much as you want to share. But there seemed to be, you mentioned how you guys are skilled at going into situations and scenarios that need help and need rebuilding. And I know that happened with a church community as well. Yeah. Do you want to share about that at all? Or you can pass on that. So you can to go share. So when we moved here to North Carolina, because you finished up your time in South Africa, we finished it up after three years. Yeah. We actually felt like that we were a ceiling on the growth of people. Like we feel like God's allowed us to be empowering. We don't feel a sense of ownership to the stuff he's assigned us to. Like, and assigned is a hard, it's, I don't know, it's a little bit strong, but the, the things he allows us to be involved in, mm-hmm. we try to hold it with open hands and like kind of to let the blessing flow through. And there's, yeah. there's always plenty in your palms and he gives you, but you just let it flow through. And then when it's time for someone else to take the reins, it's time. That happened. We felt like we were as Americans and as white at some level, but it was more as Americans. We felt like our, because we weren't resident and native to what the cultural cues were, they were very deferring and they loved us. We loved them, but we knew they needed to leave the thing because we weren't picking up a lot of the cultural things that needed to be dealt with. There's a lot of cultural beliefs that need to be dealt with in order for, for, uh, for a culture to, to actually flourish. You can't just have our little system put in place. So we recognized we needed to leave. We left and, uh, in a real way, it was like taking a plant and taking it out of the ground when its roots are nice and established. Mm. So there's lots of pain in that, right? Because there's a sense that you're like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. And then you want to live the rest of your life like a potted plant because mm. you don't want to go through the pain of being uprooted again. Yeah, it's tough. It's like you had almost asked that question again. Okay, yes. what's the desires of my heart now? That chapter is closed or you feel like you've done what you needed to. And, and as you put it, other people need to flourish in this role. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you go through this exercise again. Totally. We was exactly going again. We land in America. And one of the things God has shown me, he's, he put a love in me for family and in, in the sense of a spiritual family. And I knew that that is reflected. It should be reflected in a healthy church. It should be family, not an organization. And this, I mean, a family is organized, but you know, you don't have corporate meetings with your kids. You talk about their desires and you help equip them and train them up in the way they should go. And so there is a church that we found ourselves in where they had planted the church maybe three years earlier and they'd gone through a number of different kids, like someone in charge of the kids ministry or whatever. And so the guy said, hey, can you work part time? It just is a constant flow of parents or women are being assigned to lead the kid ministry and it's just always a mess but that's what people really care about mm. when they bring their kids to church they want them to be they want sunday school to be done well they want their kids to be safe and they want that whole program but they want to go into the, the adult service mm. i'd never done kids ministry but we did it and so it was a weird situation because we were meeting in a school at that point and they had all the kids walk down this long long hallway into these rooms or off to the side there was never enough volunteers on a Sunday morning. And it was just sort of like doing it out of rote. And so the way I helped in that church, we relocated the kids' ministry to be in the cafeteria with all the glass windows right by the entry when people walked in. 
and then there was a gym across. And so we're like, let's locate it right here. So all the parents walk in, they see all the kids, it's through the glass, and kids are front and center in what we're trying to do. And for, I would say for six months, there was two services at that church, and I would be in charge of the three-year-olds to the six-year-olds. Often me and Michelle, because a lot of the people who planned to the church retired, and they're like, we don't really want to volunteer. And somehow God put inside of us this this grace for it, is the best I can say it. We're just going to love your kids. Like, and I, you hear that all the time, just love the kids. But it, it didn't bother us, maybe because we were still full from being in South Africa. We didn't feel a need to have to be in the service to get my weekly filling. And so for, I don't know, months, we would do this thing by ourselves. And the parents would drop the kids off. And it was weird. Like, I remember parents being like, so are you guys just here by yourself again? We're like, yeah. Do you need any help? Or if you want to help, no problem. If you don't want to, like have a wonderful service. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was genuine. Yeah. And then a lady and her daughter, they started helping. Like they were like, I don't know, the lady was probably like 16, her daughter was like 30. And they started helping. And then weirdly enough, it was like just by bringing that peace and just by serving, other people were, like just came. And, and before we knew it, there's someone else who came into the church and they had used to run a kids ministry and, and I'm like, you guys can do this. I mean, we're just making it up as we go along. But there's all these people who want to help. I don't actually even know how to equip them very well. And she took over the ministry. And then in the meantime, there had been a lot of people who were coming to that church from another church in town that had been one of these flourishing churches planted in the 80s. And I'll say this roughly, and I, my details could be wrong, but just roughly speaking, I would say everything that could go wrong in a church had gone wrong in this church. And a lot of people were leaving the church and showing up this place where we were and they had a lot of baggage that was a lot of hurt and kind of bad leadership and unhealthy things. And it happened to them. The church had actually had been a, had been sued. Like the church members had sued the church leadership and had gone to the Supreme court of North Carolina. You don't do that in a small town without there being major damage, just like lack of trust and leadership, just a lack of like accountability on every level. Like, People would come claiming hundreds of thousands of dollars were missing. We, we had reports of like affairs happening and just just mess, right? And that's what we found ourselves in the middle of. And I, God put something in my heart to be like, hey, can we pray for this church? I would say that in the leadership meetings where I was like the kids minister person, hey, can we pray for this church? These people are coming in. I don't know this story. I'm new to this town. And weirdly enough, like everyone knew the story and then no one talked about it. Mm. And in our leadership meetings, it was almost like people would put up like the cross of the vampire. Like, we don't want to have association with that mess, mm-hmm. which I thought was weird because shouldn't churches help each other, right? And so I, I felt to go there and say, hey, if you guys need any help, I'd be happy to help you. That progressed. That was like in, I don't know, August or September of a year. They told me that they already had put out applications for a new pastor because the other pastor, they had asked him to leave for mm-hmm. whatever reasons. And um, they said, listen, we put out, we, in one day we had over 100 resumes. You're never going to be considered to be the leader of this church. And um, I'm like, that's fine. I'm not looking for a position. I just like, clearly there's, there's some hurt and if I can help. So they asked me to fill in while they were interviewing the other pastors. Got to January and they had me preach. Like on the day they were going to pick a final pastor, it was between guy A or guy B and I was just a, like a fill in. Yeah. But at the end of the service, literally the two leaders came to me and they're like, hey, would you guys be willing to take this church? We feel like you're supposed to be the one that lead the church. Well, we're singing the final song. I'm sitting there and my wife is like, what? I look at her, I'm like, 
she's like, let's just say for six months. Yeah. That turned to nine and a half years. <laughs> so, and, and so the part of that story that I didn't realize is that you're at church A mm-hmm. and church B is crumbling and members of church B are going to your church mm-hmm. and you feel almost a burden to say, gosh, there's, there's some hurt over there. Let me go back to that church B and see if I can help. Yeah. And that's the church that you ended up pastoring for nine years. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And like for the other, for the first church, it was like in that conversation, it was like I all of a sudden, this was maybe in June or July, I'm just like, I'm done. I felt like these other people who are way more skilled than like people actually knew how to lead a kids ministry. Yeah. These people had come to church. The, there was plenty of volunteers and it was happening. And and so one day the pastor took me out. Do you feel like this is the right position for you? And I'm like, I totally don't. There was something happening where I was just like not into it anymore. And I'm like, I don't. And he's maybe we just go to the end of the year. I'm like, no, this is something that has to happen. This needs. I need to step out of position and this needs to run, which is hard in the church setting. It's hard to leave a church ministry role without leaving the church. Mm-hmm. And so I remember stepping down. It was like at the beginning of August. And then the other church asked me to speak in that church within a couple of weeks. But there wasn't any commitment. It was just more like you said. I just saw them crumbling and I saw hurt. Like my spirit felt bad for them. Mm-hmm. And I just like, how can I help? And and in fact, we had a lot of relationships through our friends in South Africa who had planted churches all across the world. And what the leaders of those churches would do would be like, if you ever come across a church that needs help, we're here to help. Oh, wow. And so that's what happened. And I'm like, hey, I know these guys. And we set up like, it was Skype back then, but we set up like a Skype call. And one of the, these leaders was like a rapid fire question from the leaders of the damaged church. And I was literally sitting behind the laptop, like not even... I'm not a pastor. I'm just a. I'm just here to help. And after a two-hour rapid-fire conversation with this guy, they literally sat back and reclined in their their conference room chairs. And I wish we had known him five years ago. Mm. There's such spiritual wisdom in it. And then, anyways, a number of different meetings and that's another example of blessing, right? Like here's here's your your friend, your pastor from South Africa, mm-hmm. with the spiritual maturity to then bless the church leaders when they needed it with wisdom and guidance and spiritual father. I mean, he's a guy who calls, who carries what I'll say is like an anointing of a father. When you get into the room with him, you feel like it's like you just ask for his direction or his wisdom, or you want to put a draw on him, if you will, for something that comes out of him to come to you, which is what I think is like what fathers do to their kids. As a business guy, too, I'm just curious, were you working during these nine years? Were you, uh, <laughs> how did that work out? <laughs> oh. I, guess, I mean, obviously you were working as a pastor. So was that your first, uh, your full-time vocation? Uh, then? That's a whole nother story. Like so many threads to this story. So in 2007, we came back to the States. It was a really hard like, grinding of gears to come back into the American workforce. But what else do you do? We actually moved to North Carolina because we felt like we felt like God drew us here. Like, how do you know God's drawing you somewhere? It goes back to you. We have, we've learned to hear that still small voice, if you will, that stirrings out of our spirit. And I'm convinced that you can't go wrong if you're trying to hear from God. It's like my kids. Sometimes I'm just, it's like, what do I want them to do when they're cooking? Do I get mad with them if they make a mess, if they like spill grease on the floor? Some dads can but I'm just excited to see what are they going to choose? What are they going to do? And I give them guidance and it's just like fun for me to watch them experience. And so my joy comes from watching them try. 
And I think the father is the same way. If my ear is attentive to God, he'll correct me if there's something I really shouldn't be doing. So we land in North Carolina. It's 2007, and I have to get a job. And so I find this job. I used to be an engineer, and I used to be a project manager for this company called Xerox, managing their construction projects. Like the engineering firm would oversee is called construction administration. So I knew how to manage projects because I'd been trained by, at that time, like these guys were like, I don't know, Fortune 100 or maybe, I don't know what it was in the early 90s or late 90s. So 2007 happens. We land in America. I have to get a job. And it's this little, and this little construction company needed a project manager in Chapel Hill. And that's what happened. So 2007 happens, 2008 happens. It's financial crisis time, isn't it? Financial crisis time comes, and the, basically I get laid off from that company. And this is 2008. We have bought a house. Our boys were born in 2007. We actually didn't know anyone in North Carolina. We landed here. All the stresses, moving to a new state is a big deal. Just moving is a big deal. Having children, like that's a major life move, and then not having a job, like a new job, and then getting laid off from the job. All this happened within a year. And we land here, don't know anybody, and it's 2008, and I'm like, God, how could this be? Like, And my wife, she needed to go to a counselor. I'm like, I don't need a counselor. (laughs) (laughs) We'll go to a career coach or a life coach or something, and she sets something up with this life coach lady. We meet on my back porch a few times, and I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to start a church, and my wife's not supposed to start a church. <laughs> this life coaching thing is not working. No. <laughs> She's like, no, you don't start. need to start a nonprofit. But I prayed about it, and I have to say, I, I pulled the trump card on what I thought God was telling me. And I, I don't know the exact words, and I, don't, I can't actually recall how it worked, but through this series of what am I supposed to do now, because my only skill set is in the construction industry and the engineering world. 2008 is when everything is crashing. Like I had lots of friends who I got to know just in that year and entire businesses are collapsing. Like he went bankrupt. He lost his big building and overextended everything. And I felt like God put in my heart the essence of, I want you to start a company so that you can lead a church without needing to take a salary from the church. That was the essence of what I, I long for, mm-hmm. which sounds honorable, right? Like you don't need a salary yeah. from the church. So I started a construction company in 2008 Wow. In, what um, a time to start a construction company. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like the worst time to do that. <laughs> so the guy, I started this construction company. I hooked up with this other guy who he actually immigrated from Montreal, and his dad was extremely wealthy, and he wanted, he wanted to do things on his own. He didn't want to always be under his dad's thumb. I don't mean that his dad was controlling. He had a lot of skill in himself, and so he wanted to make it work. And so he came. We weren't. We didn't have any cash issues like everyone else did at that time. So the guy I got, so we started this company, the guy who I got laid off from that company, he came to me, hey, Nathan, we're going to go bankrupt. And I have like three or four jobs that we have signed contracts for, but we don't have the cash to perform them, to pay the subcontractors. I owe all these subcontractors this money and we haven't been paid by the owners and we just can't pay them now. They won't work for us anymore. And so I can't perform the contracts. Do you want them? And so we had the cash because of my, my, my friend who had this in. So we started this company then. And I mean, we got stretched out like 120 days, like with no payments for 120 days. And so we put all the money out front to the subcontractors and the, the managers. We know the money's good, but these properties are in receivership, which is like the first step of bankruptcy. If you just can hang with us, 
It's just a process to get everything approved through the court. And we were able to do that. And within three years, we were like, not a huge company, but we were doing over $3 million a year. And then that was, so that was 2008. In three years' time was like right at the beginning of 2011, which is when this church asked me to lead the church. Wow. So you felt that calling to lead a church in 2007, 8? But it took... But it took three years for it to come to fruition. Yeah, and I just did the company as best I could, figuring out all the stuff that goes along with figuring out a new company. Yeah. So 2008, 2011 happened, and it was such a damaged church. Like, the people had been hurt by leadership. And uh, there was a book I remember at that time. The essence of the book is wrapped up in its title, which was The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. And a lot of people reject the church because they've been abused by leaders. And spiritual leadership is way, way different than leading in, in the commercial, in the business world. And I made so many mistakes. Oh, it's embarrassing. I remember, so the property that I inherited, if you put it that way, it was effectively a church building. This is 2007. It had been built in the 80s and it had probably, because of financial issues, there had been deferred maintenance for who knows, five or 10 years or something like that. And so they had had a school that had failed and all kinds of issues and go with failure of anything. So we decided to renovate like the school building. And I felt that God said what was intended for this property and this church and this school didn't go away just because it was done poorly. So we started the school again. So by the middle of 2000, by September of 2011, we started an elementary school. And it was like, and so we started the school, which I, it was a little bit ambitious. And if I had to do it again, I would have actually taken the time to plan it better. But at that point, we were just like, opportunity, take it. Oh my goodness. And are you doing a little bit of construction on the side? Oh no, that's a full-time job. Okay. So you're still doing construction in the church? Oh, it's a hundred hours a week. Okay. Literally. <laughs> and we started school. And when you're a preacher, the old saying is Sunday's always coming. Uh, as soon as you're done with your yeah. preach, you're like, all right, Sunday's Monday mornings. Like, what am I going to preach about? It's like literally preparing a thesis. It seems like. I'm, and, and I've had a mental shift too, to think I want to honor whoever's preaching on Sunday, uh, whether I'm watching online, watching in person, just to at least take a couple bullet points. I mean, that's the least I could do from them spending (laughs) what could be hours and days preparing for this message and hopefully living a lifestyle that they're hearing from God and being blessed by God with these words and to be fruitful to then uh, encourage others, right? Like if if you really think about it, then that's what we're hoping is happening. Mm -hmm. And so why not jot down a couple notes? I know that one of the things, God taught me a lot through that process, probably taught me more than I taught other people. (laughs) But one of the things, going back to always bringing blessing, I didn't know it, but there's all these canned sermons you can get online. Some of the early sermons I preached, I literally would transcribe them because I'm like, oh, this is an amazing message. And I would effectively transcribe other guys' messages because I didn't feel confident that I had what it took or I didn't know what to say or whatever. But as, as you mature and you, as God starts speaking, you start having the confidence to be like, actually, I think God might have this for you. And you, just, you learn in that process. And so I, I remember God saying, always give the people fresh bread. Mm-hmm. Like always have a, don't give people like day old bread. Don't repeat a message. And I know that there's things that Paul says, I want to remind you of these things. Like I know there's a place for reminder, but I think real blessing is not canned, right? Mm-hmm. Real blessing always comes with a sense of freshness. Like it says, I think there's a Psalm or a proverb. It says something like a, a good word at the appropriate time is like apples of gold and settings of silver or something like that. And so that's what I learned. Like blessing is always fresh. It's not like day old. Like I'm just going to regurgitate this for the sake of talking for half an hour at people on a Sunday morning. 
And so that that meant to you to challenge yourself to come up with your own sermons. It challenged me to come up with my own sermons. And I mean, I'd have to drive back and forth to Raleigh to all the commercial. It was interior office outfits for like lawyers' offices, like class A offices. And I mean, I would listen to sermons the whole time. I'd be using like voice memos. As I'd, I'd be praying like, God, what do you want me to say? This is like real time. Like every drive, I'm like transcribing voice sermons. On Saturday nights, like to put the boys to bed at 6 p.m. And I'm like, I'd get to bed at 2 o'clock in the morning. Because that would be the real focus time. I'd like kind of compile all the, the funnel of, okay, God, what are you saying for this week for the for the people? And I think it's accurate. I don't think I'm, I think it's accurate to say, I'm like, okay, God, it's your people and you care more about your people than I do. Mm-hmm. I want those people to be blessed. Like compile this down, put it into a place where the words come out of my mouth clearly so that they're blessed, so that they are equipped spiritually. Mm-hmm. And that was what, I mean, it was like 100 hours a week. I'm not exaggerating. Like, <laughs> every Saturday night from like 6 p.m. to often 2 in the morning, it would be like putting it all in writing to get up at 8 o'clock in the morning and then and then go. Wow. So. <laughs> wow. Uh, speaking of going, I know that you need to go. Uh, thank you for your generous time with this. And, uh, and there's more to everyone's story with it, but I feel really privileged to at least capture what we have captured with diving into always being a blessing. What does that mean? Moments that you felt blessed for. Were there any other stories or lessons that, that you wanted to share? I think if I would be able just to say from the blessing standpoint, the essence of blessing, like if I take those words and I said at the beginning to be fruitful, fruitful is like reproducing. So when you're speaking a blessing over people, there's a place where you're saying, I want you to flourish in this. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be productive. And so like when we say bless you, like even if we only can remember fruitful to be like, I speak flourishing over you. Like we can release the flourishing of God that he puts inside of us over someone else. When we, like the whole multiply, multiply, it's like there, there's that place of expansion. There's, there's more than one. There's abundance. There's no shortage. So when we speak that blessing over people, so may there be no shortage in your life, like emotionally or socially or mentally or like physically or whatever it is. There's that release. When we say fill the earth, there's that spreading out. There's a place where we're not just tenants anymore, like we're owners, because he, he's the owner of a thousand hills and he's our father. That Even that the words like subdue and rule over, I think that this is a big thing. Like there's so many people, they need to be blessed with a sense of significance. Subduing and ruling over. It's like God saying, no, I'm giving you significance. I'm giving you influence. I'm giving you a place of responsibility. I'm giving you an assignment. I'm giving you, I'm, I'm allowing you to be empowered. There's purpose in your life. You're intended. Like one who rules over well, one who subdues brings peace to a garden, right? Like the, the opposite of wild weeds is a subdued garden. There's peace, and it looks beautiful. And then the last two things, a blessing of that place where I said, God said, I've given this to you. I've given you the seeds for food. I bless you with the sense that you are going to be provided for. There's a place for enjoyment. He actually uses a word, I bless you with these things for you to enjoy. So when we speak blessings to people, we're like actually speaking a sense of joy in their life. And then there's a decree, and it's declared. He's like, I'm declaring this, which means I'm establishing it. Like a king's decree is like, it's a done deal. Like... As soon as I do this, established. Mm-hmm. I think that lands it for me. It lands it for me because blessings aren't a thing that is transient, and we have to keep going back to the well, right? Oh no, my blessings are gone. I went through the cloud of fog, and now I'm on the other side, and I'm outside the cloud of fog. It's like there's been an establishment that blessings will flow, and, and so I think the thing for me as I walk away, and, and maybe for you is. Okay, if his blessings are with you, it's not an issue you walk out of the blessing, but there are occasions when we step out 
and we cut off the flow. And so when we feel like we're in a sense of dryness or we feel like, hey, I'm, I feel like I'm not expanding anymore. I'm not being fruitful. I'm not multiplying. I'm not, it's okay. What are the signal lights? Is it boredom? Okay, God, let me get back into the blessing. Let me get back into that place where I know with open hands, let me just allow your blessings to flow through me to the world around me. So, Last question. How are you providing for yourself in the season of life? Is there a way that you're trying to yeah, provide for yourself in any way? Providing for myself. Obviously, there's, a, there's all the dimensions of life. How are you providing for yourself physically and spiritually? There's my company, which... We're allowing our company to grow. Like I've always wanted it to be small. I think of it was out of it was out of fear. It was out of a belief that I wouldn't be able to do it. And so earlier this year, what I'm providing for me and my family is I'm choosing a belief that God is with me and He's not going to leave me hanging. So we're allowing it to grow. I think from an emotional and spiritual component, what I've found is I'm a naturally a late night person because it's quiet. The phone's not ringing, and I can focus. But I found great solace and peace and provision by getting up at like 5.30 or 6. Like my boys have to go to school. I make breakfast for them every morning, and they have to be out the door at 7.50. But I get up at 5.30, 5.40, and I just spend time reading scripture. There's so many inputs, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many voices coming in. Like, whose voice are we going to believe? Whose voice are we going to listen to? I find myself in Isaiah where... You see constantly, it's like God saying, well, God's communication about how he provides for people and how he's just present. I'm providing for myself by constantly reminding myself that God is present with me. And he'll be with me, like he says to Joshua, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Thank you for listening to this episode. Because we want to provide for even more people, please leave a review. It really helps. And if you want additional resources on providing like Jesus, you can access all of our content, courses, and weekly newsletter for free by creating an account on our website, www.clthomasfellowship.org. That's clthomasfellowship.org. So until next time, keep blessing and protecting others.